Welcome to the Happy Mindset, episode 121. Today's episode title is called Interrupt Your Story. Today I'm joined by Michael Hilton. Michael is a men's coach. I first met Michael back in 2017, I think, at a men's retreat. We were in Birmingham for about four days at a men's retreat and just kept in contact with him since. I actually joined Michael's group, I think it was called the Man Cave back then, Back in 20, I think the end of 2018, start of 2019, that's where my book came from. It came from being in that group, sharing my story for the first time. It was a nerve-wracking, but it was a powerful experience looking back on it now. And so on today's podcast, we're just exploring Michael's experience, how he, how he's owned his story, and as well how he's helping men, how he's helping men to take action, to take new action in their lives challenge these unconscious they're often unconscious narratives that we're telling ourselves so michael's going to talk around some of the stuff that's been holding him back over the years and he's challenged that through action and a lot of other work as well a lot of other personal development work on this podcast we also look at some of the traps you fall into with personal development and yeah i generally like talking to michael he's an honest and upfront guy as you'll get from this episode and that's it i hope you enjoy today's episode okay so thanks for joining us today michael uh, you're welcome, man. I'm excited to be here. This, is this my third time on, Dennis? Is it? It's your third my, time. It's second time on the my, podcast. I think the last one or the second one was a YouTube video I think we were doing. But, uh, oh, was it? YouTube. Yeah. I was say, I must be back by, by popular demand. Hopefully yeah, I'm Christmas number one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, yeah. man. I'm excited to be here, man. Excited. No, it's and, I'm excited. and it's excited to see how you're kind of evolving, how your life's evolving from the time that we've kind of spent together and things like that, man. So I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. So it's been a journey, man. Uh, so my first question for you is, who are you and what are you doing in the world today? Who am I? That's a question I've been asking myself for years, man. Who am I? Um, so my name's Michael Hilton. Basically, I help men. Uh, I coach men, basically help them to get their shit together and really basically work on their um, work on their mental health, you know, helping them to kind of take back control of how they're thinking and feeling on a day-to-day basis and, um, you know, upgrade their mindset and start, you know, working towards becoming better fathers, better husbands, um, improving their businesses or the workplace, you know, predominantly I, I kind of attract a lot of guys that are in the construction industry and stuff like that. Um, not all, but that kind of seems where a lot of guys gravitate towards me it might be because of my potty mouth and, um, and cause I was in a construction years ago, man. But yeah, like that's kind of <clears throat> something that's evolved from me being on this journey and working on myself and evolving myself has kind of come to this point now where, you know, that's solely my work really is helping men really kind of take back control of how they're thinking and feeling and, you know, changing their lives really, man, and their family's lives. Good stuff. Why do you think it's men you focus on? Where does that come from? Because I've got a dick and so have they. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Um, you didn't I'll start out like that you were helping women for a while didn't you yeah <laughs> um, well i used to be a woman but i didn't want to i didn't want to share that with anyone man uh, no um so basically yeah I, I was coaching i was coaching women so when i started off coaching it was kind of like my my goal was to coach my goal was to never coach men if you would have asked me um you know a few years, I'd say longer than a few years ago, I'd probably say when I started on this journey about three, four years ago, when I was kind of dabbling with the coaching and stuff like that. Um, 
I was attracting kind of a lot more women and I was like, cool, I enjoy working with women. Women are a lot easier to, to work with. They're kind of more acceptable to this stuff. Men are egotistical. They don't want to change. They don't want to do the work. But basically, what I kind of discovered as on this journey as I was going through it, is that deep down I knew this. The reason I didn't want to work with men is because I didn't have the self-belief or the confidence in me to challenge men. So I've always been frightened of men. I've always been scared of men. Um, and just working with women was just a lot easier. There was kind of like, you know, easy to challenge. They were more acceptable to doing the work. They would go out and do the work. You know, they would change where guys, not so much. So I created a whole story in that, that I will never work with men. If you'd have asked me, I'd be like, no man, I don't work with men. I only work with women. And then, you know, after going through some more changes myself, Dennis, and then, and then go into a men's group, like a, a coaching weekend group, um, just at the end of that, it was like a four day experience. And I was in a room with 12 other guys and we was talking about things we hadn't spoke about before. And we was going very deep into, you know, stuff and like, you know, our deepest, darkest secrets. And, and I kind of realized that I was in a room with 12 other guys that were all really just the same as me. All have the same struggles, might be dressed up a little bit differently. And it kind of, I, I always say like halfway through, it was like breaking a shell and I came out of this shell. And at the end of it, I went up to the coach and I just went, man, like, I want to do this with men. I want to help men because men are struggling and I've got a story, you know, and, and I can help men. And that kind of took my journey to work with men and just really focusing on men. Like, do I get women that watch my stuff and reach out to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't say I don't work with women. I just predominantly, my message and who I speak to is, is predominantly dads, husbands, um, I'm, I'm working with them, man. So it just kind of evolved from that. And, it, and it's just, like I've got a video that's kind of gone a bit viral sharing my story and, and a lot of guys just reach out to me and say, man, you've just shared my story. And I'm like, yeah, because I am you and you are me. That's it. You know, mm. you know, you've just, you, you've explained the struggles I'm having better than I can explain them. And I'm, I'm like, well, I should hope so. I've been doing this for a few years so and practicing it. So yeah, man, that's how, how I got long, to that point. How long would you say it's actually taken you to own your own story and share that in a way that resonates with people? Oh man. So the video that I'd done, um, I would probably say, I'd probably say two and a bit years, two and a bit years. Now I never had a problem owning my story. Um, I never had a problem sharing my story. I just didn't understand it to the depth. I couldn't explain it like I can explain it now. And, and, and in five years from now, I'll explain my story even better than I can explain it now, right? Because it's just, you, you, you're always practicing and mastering your craft, right? And, and, um, and that's something that when we was working together, I got you to do, right, with your message, you know, mm. um, is the repetition and, and working at it. And I would say it's probably been about two and a half years, Dennis, like really kind of, there's never a, proper, a problem owning it, but it was putting it into words for me to understand and other people to understand because one of the problems that I've had on this journey on personal development and growing and learning from people is it's very easy to ad adopt the language of someone else, right? So like someone shares their story and you start saying words that you wouldn't normally say to explain things in your world, right? But they don't quite make sense to you. And I would say that's took me two and a half years to get to that point where I shared my story in my language and in, and in the way that I explain it and, and the way I like to deliver it 
where I could have shared my story two and a half years ago, but the language would have been very different because it would have been like same words, were very Americanized or stuff that I've learned from other coaches or mentors to try and explain certain things in my life. Does that make sense there? What I... Yeah, no, I went through a similar thing. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder, is it part of the process? Is it kind of like the training was giving you some sort of language and then you realize after a while that it had some bit of an impact, but it's not impactful to the extent that I can share my story and just like be a normal human being and just be Dennis. Like, um, another thing I actually was blocked with was the, I knew what the story was, but it was so emotionally charging for me because I didn't have a distance from the story. It was still part of my identity very much. Did you experience that in any way, like breaking through the actual story on an emotional level? I think... I think, um, like I said, I, I never really, I never really had a problem sharing my story. Um, but the more I went into the emotion of it and, and sat with it and the longer I was with it for and kind of thinking about the man that I was and the things that I were doing and, and how I was showing up in the world um, and how I was treating my wife and my kid and how I was just generally being as a human being to other human beings. Um, yeah, that, that was definitely emotional. There was a lot of charge behind, there was a lot of charge behind that at a time, you know, um, at, at, a, at a period of time. Okay. So at a period of time where I was in my life, there was a lot of guilt and shame around what I'd done. Right. But at that time I didn't know what guilt and shame was. See, like now I have a completely different experience around guilt and shame. Now, is there things in the past that I'd done that I feel still guilt and shame about. Yes, that guilt and shame is there, but it doesn't drag me down or affect me because I know that the guilt and shame is there to show me something about my life, right? It's, it's like the engine management, like my life, it's there to show me something, right? So there was that part where there was parts of my story that I didn't want to own or I didn't really want to speak out that go deep into it because I had a bit of shame around it, you know, mm -hmm. you know, for, for a prime example, five and a half years ago with my business, um, I just, it become all about money and I was doing unethical things for money in the business, you know, in my business. So there was guilt and shame around that because it didn't just affect me, it affected other people's lives as well. And it wasn't stealing money, it, maybe it could be classed as that, but, you know, it was, there was just a lot of guilt and shame and energy around that. And that took me a little while to sh share that. Like telling people that I wanted to kill myself wasn't that difficult. But then telling the story about, well, do you know what? I, I, was, I was taking money from people and I wasn't given the level of service that I promised them when I was taking their money from them. That was a lot of guilt and shame there for me. Yeah. Okay. Was there a period in your life where stories, narratives inside your head were controlling you, but you didn't know that was what was happening in your life, that there was stories going on in the background? Yeah, man. Like our lives are governed by stories, right? We're, we're storytelling machines, you know? And um, I suppose when you're in the story and you're in the dream, I, I, you know, it's the one way of putting it is, is like, you're a, I always say you're asleep dreaming, you're awake, right? That's what I used to be. I just used to be an unconscious human being walking around the planet mm. um, concerned with Michael Hilton. I was asleep dreaming. I was awake, bumping into people and bumping into things. Right. Um, now, at that time, like people t spoke about stories, like your story, what is your story? And I'd be like, yeah, I've got stories. Of course, I've got stories. But I didn't realize at the time how they were governing my life, how they were actually driving me um, to do certain things in my life. 
right? So for example, it's like, right, I want to work out. I want to get fit. And then the story would come up. I, I, here's a better example for you. So um, I had a story that I don't run. I don't run. I don't like running, right? It's too painful. It's horrible. I don't like running. Um, last year, I was sitting there one day and I'd just listened. I'd been listening to an audio book and I sat there one day and I looked at my wife. I went, I'm going for a run. And she went, she looked at me, she went, what? You don't run. I went, yeah, no, I know. I don't like running. I'm not a runner, but I'm going to go for a run. And then the story started in my head. What? You don't run. You're not a runner. Right. And I'm like, right, I'm, I'm just going to go for a run. So I classed myself as quite a fit, healthy guy. Well, I hadn't even run a mile and I thought I was going to die, right? There's a difference between being fit and healthy, lifting weights in the gym versus fit and healthy running as well. Um, so I started running and, and I'm dying. I, I think I'm dying and my head's going to me. The story's going, this is because you're not a runner. Mike, what are you doing? You don't run. You're not a runner. So it's getting more and more painful for me. It's getting harder and harder. I think my first run, I run 1.5 miles, right? And I stopped and I was like, my God, like, that was horrendous. And, and the story in my head, it's because you're not a runner. You don't run, right? So then the next time I'm like, okay, I'm going to run. My head's again, the story. Yeah, but Mike, you don't run. You don't like running. So I, I, my goal was, okay, I just want to run a mile without stopping. And then I run a mile without stopping. Then I run a mile and a half without stopping. But the story was constantly there, kept constant playing out in my head, right? You're not a runner. You're not a runner. It's just an old story. I'd created somewhere in my life my story was the only time I run is when I've got a football at my foot and I'm running towards the goal for football, right? It's the only time I run. Other than that, I'm not a runner. I don't do running. And, and that's the story I created. And then I went on to running a lot of miles. I'd done a one-man marathon by myself um, on a trial run uh, by myself. Uh, very little water. I had half a litre of water. I didn't eat any food, right? Um, because I really wanted to challenge myself. But when I was training for that run, there was times like I had a 16 mile run to train for um, on this trial run by myself. And my head went to me, the story, this story come up like, you're not good enough to do this, right? You're, remember, you're not a runner. And, I'm, and I just, by this time, I'd kind of got more of a deeper awareness of the stories of my life. And I was like, well, at this present moment in time, you're right, I'm not good enough to run a marathon, right? But if I continue training, I will be good enough to run a marathon, right? If I stop, then I won't, right? And then I just kept pushing myself. And then I'd done the marathon and raised a shitload of money for, for a charity. Then straight after the marathon, I set myself a challenge. It was 12, 12 half marathons in 12 weeks. So every Sunday, I would run, 12 half, I'd run a half marathon every Sunday for, for three months. I'd done that. Um, so I just challenged the, the story. But first you become, the first part is being aware of the story. That's the first part. And that's, I think, the hard part, Dennis. That's the real hard part is becoming, because, because we just get so used to the story and we just, it becomes like, mm. you know, it just becomes us. We, we morph into this story that we don't actually know that it's a story. We just think it's fact. We think it's real, you know? Yeah, we think it's life. Because when I was starting off, it, these things felt like life rather than mm. unconscious stories that were going on in the background. Yeah, like what you did there was challenge it through action. Is there any other way that you challenge these stories? You, do you do any journaling or do you do anything else that works through these stories? 
I guess somebody right now, they could be listening to this and they might even, they mightn't see the story. They might just feel the reality of the limitations rather than the story. So how does somebody like that even begin? Well, again, yes, I do journal. I journal every day. I write every day. I have, I have, I've kind of made my own journal up, which the guys get in my group, right? Um, so I made, he's, he's crazy, right? Dyslexic guy that can't read and write. And I made my own journal, right? If you'd have told me that five years ago, there would have been a story behind it, right? I can't do that. I couldn't do my, I couldn't make my own journal for a group of guys to help them. So I do journal every day and challenge my beliefs. I ask myself questions like who needs me on top of my game today? Like, you know, um, I have a set of questions in, let me just grab it. I have a set of questions in here in my journal that does challenge my beliefs. And um, this is, um, let me just work. Let's just get this, man. Are they like questions you came up with over time yourself then, was it? Um, to, well, some of them, yeah. And then others that I kind of heard and I used mm. for myself, right? Um, and things start to change. So like, like on, on our, on our weekly review, I have like old habit, right? So there's a whole old habit. So write down an old habit, old belief, right? So you've got an old habit, you've got a habit you want to change. Then what's the belief behind that? Right? So old habit, I don't run. Belief is I'm not a runner, right? What's the new habit I want to create? I want to start running. What's the new belief, right? And then what's the new action? Um, because it's one thing like in my experience is changing the belief doesn't really happen without a level of action with mm. it. Like you have to take some kind of action to disrupt that story. And you, and you have to be consistent with that. Like I done with the running, it was just going further and further. And like, before I knew it, I run three miles. And I was like, shit. Okay. So then I run three and a half miles and four miles. And then my head's going, yeah, but you can't run no more than five miles. There was constant, like, there was just constant stories and barriers that I was putting on myself. And each time I kept pushing through them and pushing through them. And um, each time I was having a new experience, like, well, there's a new belief there. That's not true. What else is not true? You know, what else is not true? Mm. So uh, answering your question, if someone's listening to this, it's kind of like if there's something in your life, right? If there's something in your life you want to do or you want to stop or you want to start, right? Is asking yourself, what is fundamentally the belief that's either keeping you doing it or stopping you from doing it? So a prime example, again, another one from mine is I'm a recovered alcoholic, right? And I had to get to the story as to why I drunk, right? Like what was taking me back to drink? And I had two stories. Number one, the story was, is I'm not good enough and I'll never amount to anything in my life. And number two, life is boring, right? Now you speak to a lot of people that drink a lot. A lot of these people have a fundamental belief that life's boring. So that was my story. That was my belief. Life is boring. But when I drink and take drugs, my life gets a little bit exciting, right? I don't feel good enough or worthy when I drink or take drugs. It allows me to be a little bit more of who I'd like to be in the world. I could talk to girls. I could do that. So until I challenged those two belief systems and changed those two stories, it didn't matter what I'd done to try to stop drinking. I'd always go back to drink because a week away from the drink or two weeks, those old stories and beliefs would start playing out again. 
And I'd go, I'd be like, well, I, I can't, this, this is too painful to live this way. I need to go back to drinking drugs. You, know? you, you remember the things you changed to start breaking those narratives? Cause that's pretty strong. I would think for somebody who's an alcoholic. That basically took a lot of years of asking myself questions and, and self self analyzing and realizations. Um, for me, like I, I openly admit, I don't go to recover anymore, but it started with breaking the patterns of going, I went to recovery. That's what I done. Right. So I went to recovery that broke the pattern of going down the pub. Right. So this is the thing, like a lot of people fall into this trap that they need to change their habit or they need to change the habit or the belief first. What I say to people is get into some kind of action, do something different, right. Um, create a new strategy, the belief and start asking yourself about like, start challenging yourself on your belief systems. What a lot of people do is sit, and try and challenge their belief systems. Like if I sat there and tried to challenge my belief systems about running, right? I would never have run because I would have just sit there trying to change my belief systems. But you have to have some kind of evidence. In my experience, there's some kind of evidence, right? Mm. And but that, like anyone that's struggling with drink, people tend to think it's drink. Drink's just a band-aid, right? But but over a period of time of doing that stuff and self-analyzing you know, like journaling, asking myself questions, powerful questions, right? Which a powerful question completely changed my life five and a half years ago on, on, on Devon Cliffs when I was feeling suicidal. Um, what happened is I started getting the better quality of questions you ask yourself, the better quality of answers that you get. The quality of your life is determined by the quality of questions you ask yourself. So I didn't know, I didn't know that at the time. I just drunk because I blamed everyone else for my drinking, right? And then I was like, oh, drink's the problem. And then I soon found out when I stopped drinking that, oh, drink's not the problem. I'm the problem. But then the story after what kept taking me back to drinking, that took me a little while to figure out, you know? So that's not something that just happened overnight, man, you know? Mm. Yeah, no, I agree with the taking action on things as well. Sometimes the small actions, just even creating a space, just breaking, interrupting the pattern in some way. Because if you do challenge your beliefs, you can't lie to yourself. Your brain knows what's real and what's not real as well sometimes. Like if you're not actually backing up with action and there's only changing in reality, it's hard to keep that going for the long term. But um, it's, it's, I think it also it's quick, Go on, go on yeah. sorry, buddy. Go on. No, it's, just quick, it's, quick, it's quickly like, like affirmations, right? Mm. You know, like people say, stand in front of the mirror and tell yourself you're, you're good enough and you're worthy, right? Or, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're enough. Let's just say that, right? Okay, I don't feel good enough. Okay, stand in front of the mirror and repeat that you are good enough, right? Well, just stand in front of the mirror, bullshitting yourself and saying that I'm good enough, right? I'm good enough, I'm good enough, good enough. When you're not being a very good husband, not being a very good father, um, you're, you're, you're lying to people, you're drinking, you're taking drugs, you ain't going to convince yourself that you're a good person, right? Now, how do you build your self-esteem? How do you build your confidence? That is through the action and application, right? That's through the action. So, so when you start, when you start like, it's like, like not feeling confident in your body, right? Because your body's overweight, you don't feel very good. Then you start getting in shape and, that, and you start feeling more confident in your body. Why? It's because it's come through the action, right? An actual physical change and you can see that, right? So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to add, add that in there, man. That's yeah. why the action is so important, man. I think it's the self-honesty piece as well. Like it's like, I think you naturally tell less lies to other people when you're not, you're, when you're not lying to yourself as much because there's less of a reason to, to lie. Uh, I always had that backwards when I was younger when I didn't really understand self-honesty. 
But <laughs> ownership, right? Ownership. Yeah. yeah, ownership, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, the other side of this is the vulnerability piece, because in order to get to these stories, to see the patterns, to start breaking them, I do think it requires vulnerability because these are quite emotionally charged issues sometimes. Like nobody's an alcoholic just because they want to be an alcoholic or anything. There's, there's issues going on there. So when in your mind did you start seeing vulnerability as a strong point rather than the perception of it being a weak thing in a man especially as well? Mm. Um, good question, man. I, I think it goes back to um, when I went into recovery and you go for a process. I was going for a process and um, I think it's kind of like layers of an onion. You know, when you first start off, like if you've never done anything like this before and you, you want to get honest and truthful with yourself, you're only going to be as honest and truthful with yourself to a level that you allow yourself to be or you, or, or you might feel comfortable at that moment. There might be things, deep, dark little secrets you don't want anyone to know. And, and, and at the beginning, you might not want to share that and that's okay. Um, for me, it's kind of been this process. It's kind of like, you know, sharing things. I remember, I remember sitting down with someone in recovery and I, I shared, I shared the fact like I'm, I'm in my, I'm, I'm here now at my, my nan's place up in the office upstairs. And, um, you know, my big, biggest dark, darkest little secret back then was the only time I used to come into my nan and granddad's house was to steal money for drinking drugs. I'd come in, I'd say, I'm using a toilet, I'd go upstairs and I'd steal loads of money out of my granddad and my nan's bedroom sort of thing. And, um, that was, that was painful. There was a lot of guilt and shame around that. And I'd never shared that of anyone, right? Obviously I run my mouth off when I was drunk with a few friends, but that was a horrible, that was, that felt horrible. And, um, when I went through recovery and a kind of like owning your story a little bit more and being honest and truthful about like the things that you've done, you know, I had to share that with someone else. I shared that with a, a stranger, really, um, a guy that was helping me. And, um, you know, you kind of make up a story in your head. Again, coming back to the story, I kind of made a story up in my head that it was going to be this big ordeal and he was going to, oh, that's terrible or you're a horrible human being and all that. And he was just like, okay, that's, that's the biggest one. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's pretty big. Okay, what's next? I'm like, oh, right, okay. So it wasn't really a big deal. And I think we make more of a deal of it in our heads because we create a story about it than it actually is, you know, than it actually is. And, and carrying around all those secrets and carrying around all, those, all those, those things that we're trying to hide, hiding behind the mask, all those little, those little secrets and things like that, you know, it really does hold you back in life. Like when I shared that, I just felt free. You know, mm. it's a process that you go through and I shared that and it felt free and I kind of like, man, like this feels good to share and share. At that time, I didn't completely owned it all, but share this. And then obviously when I got deeper into personal development, especially over the last two, I'd say two and a half years, really owning my life, really taking responsibility. Like, um, from my meltdown five and a half years ago. And that's been a journey of being more vulnerable, being more honest and, and, and being more open about stuff. But really I'd say over the last two and a half years, maybe three years is where I really kind of took ownership and responsibility in my life. And it's like, you know, quit blaming other people for stuff that's happened and really kind of taking responsibility of that man, you know? Hmm. Hmm. I get that. Like my experience of personal development is that it's not like peeling. It's not like ripping a bandaid off. In real life, like in, in with the physical body, sometimes it's like rip the bandaid off. 
but even when I try to like own everything straight away, it I, it's taken me time to actually feel it. That's been the hardest yeah. part, is actually feeling into this stuff. And that's when you know you're really owning something. And that's, I think, is the peeling back the layers, the onion. It's like, it takes quite a bit of time to, to do that, I think. Well, you can only handle so much, Dennis, right? Yeah. Like, if where I am now, if you would have said this to me six, seven years ago, I wouldn't have been able to hand that, handle that. Like, because of, like, where I was with my mindset and, 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 my, and my mental health and all that, I wouldn't have been able to handle that, you know? Um, how I live my life now and the things that I do on a day-to-day basis because I have a very busy life, right? Um, with a family, with my business and stuff like that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to handle that. I, I couldn't even have that five and a half years ago. Like that was my big meltdown, right? Trying to do what I do now because I didn't have like a way of dealing it. So it's like peeling an onion. And I think one of the big problems that we do see in the personal development world, and this isn't my gig, this isn't, this isn't my style, like I'd rather be honest with someone and be really honest, brutally honest with them than try and make them feel better about themselves, right? Because a lot of the personal development is making you feel better about yourself as quick as possible, right? But when you're constantly just trying to feel better about yourself all the time, you're actually denying, denying the fact that there is a lot of growth in pain and struggle, you know, because that's where we grow the most, right? And the more you keep running away from your problems to try and feel better about yourself, and personal development becomes another addiction like that, then it's, it, it, it's, it's counterproductive. You know, you just end up spending all your time just running from your problems, running from your problems, got to be positive. <coughs> Everything's got to be wonderful all the time. And um, I wish that was the case, but it's not. <laughs> no. No. Well, actually, that was, that was my next kind of question. I was going to ask you, um, what are some of the traps you've fallen into in personal development? And in hindsight, now you can see that that was a trap you fell into. Some of the traps, man. Oh, man so many there is. uh becoming an instant becoming a parrot so listening to people and then regurgitating what they've said without actually embodying it myself no i think um, some of that comes back to school because that's how we're taught to learn in school regurgitate yeah you know? yeah yeah just regurgitate information kind of innocent you know? sometimes as well though you might mm. know any different so here's an interesting story right so dyslexic i got told by a psychiatrist that if i was a piece of cake i was two slices missing which is always nice to be told by a psychiatrist, right? Mm. So I'm, I'm not a whole cake, right? Um, so I got diagnosed with dyslexia. Now, I don't know if I am dyslexic, really, truthfully. Um, I just didn't apply myself very well at school. I, I, I struggled. I did struggle, and I do struggle with my, my grammar and the spelling, but maybe that's more down to the fact that I didn't learn it properly, right? Which is my responsibility. So I learned at school... I created a story that, Mike, you're dyslexic, you're dumb, you can't do this, so you need to copy people, right? So I remember one time sitting next to a girl and I said, can I copy the front of your book so I can write out the teacher's name and the class and all that? She said, yeah. And because I couldn't read and write properly, I wrote her name on my book, I copied everything. And she was laughing and she told all the other girls and they were all laughing at me. And at that time, my, my ego's pretty fragile at the time and, and, and I went into meltdown right like my feelings were quite sensitive back then and um, that's that's how how it was that then so what I learned in school as a coping mechanism was to copy I would sit next to brainy people right I'd copy their work maths English but then I was put by myself to do the work teachers would go well, the other day you got this right. Why can't you get, what's, what's going on now? They were confused. Well, the reason was because I just copied people. That's what I done. I copied their work, looking over their shoulders, constantly copying. 
So I carried that all into my adult, adulthood. So then obviously when I got into personal development, someone says something, I'm going to go and copy it, right? Pretend it's mine, right? Not living it or embodying it, but just copied it, right? So that's one of the traps I fell into. But that wasn't just personal development. That was everything in my life was just copying. And, and to a degree, we do, well, it's not about copying people, but it is, we do take stuff from people. It's just we embody it and make it our own. Like, as I've seen you evolve, Dennis, and, and like now you're, the way you conduct these, these interviews and your confidence and all that has evolved from the very first podcast we've done. Then you've learned stuff and copied stuff, but you've made it your own, right? I never yeah. used to do that. So that was one. Number, number two was becoming addicted, addicted to personal development. I become a personal development junkie because I was always trying to run away from pain and, and, and run to the rah-rah, happy-clappy, um, unicorn rain, ra rainbows, always positive thinking and all that, you know? Um, that was probably the biggest mistake that I made, mate. That was the biggest mistake. Yeah. Actually, I got a book today called Steal Like an Artist. Yeah, I, yeah, I've got like, that book. How do you like, yeah, yeah like, or I like, like it's, it's basically take the techniques, but make them your own, like put your own mm. art and soul into the work, but take the techniques that work and stuff like that yeah. to make things better. Because it's also mm. showing a bit of respect as well for your audience that you're packaging something in a way that is easy to digest, but it's still got your soul and it's still got your art in it. Yeah, mm. I like that. Yeah, like the stuff that I do with guys and, and my stuff, you know, I have insights around stuff and I share stuff and things like that. But some of the stuff I do, it, I, I didn't make it all up. You know, it's stuff that I've learned, I've adapted and evolved and, and, mm. and, and taken from other people and made it my own and stuff like that. And then what's worked for me and it's working for other guys. But, you know, I can't really say there's anything really that's there that I've, I, I've probably not heard or, or I've originally made up. And I think that's, you know, that book was really good for me because it's just kind of like, yeah, take it, mm. make it your own. And I call it embodiment. Like you take it, you use it, you embody it into your life. Then you can speak with confidence. Like I, I couldn't speak to you and your audience about how to make a million pounds, right? I've read the books. I could give you information, but I couldn't tell you how to do it with confidence because I've never done it. But can I tell you with confidence how to get a handle on how you're thinking and feeling and turning your life around and getting in shape? Yeah, of course. Cool. So I could, you know, 100% confidence in that because I've done that and I've helped other people do it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's the thing. Like it's very easy to regurgitate information without actually experiencing it, you know? Yeah. The, the other thing is the, cause I've seen how your work has evolved with men. Can you just talk us through how that has evolved for you? Like it's, it seemed to have taken time, but you, I, I like the way you're doing it. You're doing it in a, in a way where you're really having an impact because i was in your group as well that's where my book came from as well the actual owning my story that part so i just wanted mm. to, to get your thoughts on maybe even an expectation do you think it was, would have been quicker for things to evolve like what's been the reality of working with men and evolving your coaching i think i think it all comes from evolving yourself right um knowing yourself more well let's say you know a lot of people say about finding yourself, you know, a lot of people waste a lot of time trying to find yourself. And I'm like, like you build, build yourself, right. Get to know yourself and build the, build the person you want to become. Like, you know, you look at, like I say, you look at people and you're like, man, that guy's got a good relationship with his family. He's got good business. You know, he's got some good ethics about him. That, that inspires me. That's what I strive towards doing. Okay. Let's, let's work towards that. Do you know what I mean? And I think through doing the work on myself and, 
I'd say one of the biggest transformations been for me, Dennis, is kind of like running. I've got to be honest with you, man. Like, you know, that thing that I'd had a story and I hated doing, that was so transformational for me. Being and, and I never run with headphones. I never run, even now when I run, I don't run with headphones or music. I run alone with my thoughts, right? So I could be alone with myself to get to know myself more, know my thoughts, know my, my weak points. And it's kind of, as this has gone on, it's kind of evolved. I've evolved and it's evolved along with me. Like, you know, one thing I've learned about working with guys is men don't need another arm around their shoulder and a little pat on the bum and told, tell, tell them that it's all going to be okay and everything's going to be, everything's going to be fine because the truth of the matter is, you know, I'm not here. This is the big thing that's evolved for me and what I've realized, Dennis, is I'm not here to particularly make you feel good about yourself. I'm here to challenge you and push you to become better. And I know through pushing you and challenge you to, to raise your game in all areas of your life, it's going to take, it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take some pain and suffering. Right. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot, and it's fine if the other coaches want to do it differently, but there's a lot of like, Oh, you know, putting her arm around the shoulder and patting her bum. I mean, there is a time for that. Understand that there is a time for that, but I kind of just realized all my bullshit and, um, all my stories and having coaches kind of really, um, what I liked was coaches just being straight and honest with me, right? Straight and honest with me. You know, that's what I liked because in that point there, if I get triggered by that, then they're touching a nerve that's exposed for me and I need to look at why is that triggering me, right? Because that's the entry point of transformation there for me. You know, someone's saying to me like, Okay, so you said you was going to run seven times this week and you've only run once. Why? Well, I didn't have much time. It was hard work. You know, I felt a little bit tired. Oh, okay. All right, buddy. All right. Well, look, look, we'll try again next week. That's not helping me. That's not serving me, you know? You know, I, 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 I've been working ridiculously long hours. I'm not spending much time with my family. Oh, okay, buddy. Well, we'll try a bit better. That doesn't work for me. I need someone to get in my face and say to me, look, what? that's not acceptable. You made a commitment. This is what you said. Why are you not doing that? And as I kind of, as I've evolved and worked a lot more men, I've kind of realized that guys gravitate towards me because they like that no bullshit approach, right? I don't class myself as the no bullshit guy, but you know, every conversation I have, I'm like, like, so what's brought you here? And they're like, man, I've watched your videos and you just say it as it is. And, and, and I think the world is starving for that, Dennis. The world is starving for people just to tell people as it is the truth, right? Like, if you're fat, you're fat. That's the truth. Like, be honest with yourself. If you're, if you're broke, you're broke. Be honest with yourself. If you're being a fucking arsehole to your wife and your kids, you're being an arsehole. Own it. Take responsibility of it. Because then you take back power and you can change it. Yeah? And that's just, that's how it's evolved to me. It's just me being accountable to other coaches and being accountable to myself and just <clears throat> speaking to myself in that way. That's how I like to speak to myself. Like, that's not good enough, Michael. That's not, you're sitting on your phone and you're ignoring your kids. That's not good enough. What are you going to do about it? And I'm like, right, let's change that, right? Stop being a dick, Mike, and, and change it, you know? Yeah, I think the key thing there is you're actually changing the action. You're not just criticizing yourself in a loop. And the, Well, yeah, yeah, go on. Sorry, buddy. Go on. Well, the one thing that I like about you is that I can see that you're doing the work as well. I think when, you're, when you've got a coach who you feel isn't doing the work, you can kind of, uh, I don't know, I don't like it, but I can see that you're doing the work. I think that helps me to hold myself accountable as well as like a, a mirror as well in some way. Yeah, man. I, I shared a video the other day talking about this and it was about, it was about being critical of yourself, right? 
I enjoy being critical and hard on myself. I like that, right? That people say, oh, you know, oh, no, take it easy on yourself. No, I don't. I don't like, I like being critical and hard on myself. But I'd be critical and hard on myself with a plan to take action to change it, right? So if I'm not doing something to said I'm going to do, I stand in front of the mirror and I look at myself and I'm like, dude, what you like? I'd be critical of myself. Stop being a fucking little bitch, right? Let's step up. Let's do this. You said you're going to do this. Why are you not doing it, right? Now, if I'm just critical of myself without any action, right? Without any, without any action, then I'm just going to spend all my time beating myself up, right? And I understand people are like, I'm not, you know, I said the word little bitch. I don't mean that as a little girl or anything like that, man. So, you know, I don't mean it in that way. That's just the way I speak to myself, right? And, and um, I've, actually got, I've actually got a... <laughs> That's a good point, though. Knowing yourself, too, I feel like it's, it comes back to using your own words, using your own language to talk to yourself. As well. Yeah, yeah. So, so I have I have a picture of my kids. I have a picture of me cuddling my three kids on my phone. Right, I'll show you that there, Dennis. Right, and that says on my phone. Remember what your actions are showing us, Dad. When you quit, you're showing us to quit too. Don't be a little bitch. Right. That's what I wrote on there, like the message to myself. So I look at that each and every day. Right, and like I love the word ruthless. I'm ruthlessly committed. To helping men change their lives people are like oh ruthless seems a bit thing i'm like but but my relationship to ruthless is very different to your relationship to ruthless i don't mean ruthless in in killing people or stuff like that it's i'm ruthlessly committed to my life and helping other men so kind of understanding really answering your question dennis is being okay with michael that's what's changed for me being okay with michael speaking my truth sharing my truth and, and owning that voice that's in me that we all have that we try and suppress because we feel guilty for speaking to ourselves that way, you know, like, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. So, um, yeah, you know, it, man, like, just being really honest and truthful with yourself is the key. Stop fucking lying to yourself is the key to, to the foundation to change, you know? Mm. It's the action. I, I like how you mentioned there with the kids, because that's what they pay attention to. It's the action, like the words we can have used. We can use the best words in the world, but if we're not actually backing up with action, there's no impact. There's no difference. There's no, no shift in what we're doing. So, I think that's another thing that we kind of overlook when we get too politically correct and everything around words and language. We're not actually looking mm. at the actions and what's actually what's the trickle effect. Like, with the actions create a trickle effect in the world. I think the words point us in the right direction, but when we're filtering our word, we kind of lose contact with ourselves and how we really feel about things. Because you need to have the yeah. negative and positive, you know? As well, well, so. well, that's the thing, Dennis, isn't it? You know, you know, you've got a battery, you've got a negative and a positive. One mm -hmm. can't work without the other. You've got a magnet. Yeah. One can't work without the other and everyone's trying to live this fantasy life of just being positive. But man, if I had a pound for every time a guy said to me, I just need to think more positively, I'd, I'd be sitting in my jacuzzi now or in a fucking, on a yacht the Bahamas talking to you do you know what I mean right mm -hmm. but you know you can't have positive that negative and in every negative there's a positive and in the, every positive there's a negative you know you you can't you can't what you're basically saying is I want to disown one side of my life I don't want any negative and I want a positive now when you live in that fantasy and delusion and you create that story that you just want positive that negative what's going to happen anything that you perceive as negative and you're going to experience a lot more negative in your life right because you're trying to disown it and you're labeling things negative and you're just trying to live in this positive fantasy land and it just doesn't exist it doesn't exist you know it doesn't yeah. exist 
you've less information to actually inform your decisions on as well because you've got half your information blocked out. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, and you get that, right? You, you, yeah. uh, there's, a, there's particularly a guy that goes to my gym and you speak to him, yeah, everything's yeah, wonderful. Every day's Christmas day, positive, everything's great like that. And, and, and like, I look at him and I'm like, I can see in your eyes that you just don't believe that, my friend. Like, I can see that. You know, um, I said once about running and it was going to be a challenge. It's all, oh, you're being negative, you're being negative. And I'm like, uh, no, that, like you don't understand that I thrive in challenge. My life has been a challenge and I thrive in challenge. You don't understand my relationship to the words that I'm saying. You just perceive it as negative. You're being negative, you're being negative. It's not like ruthless. Mm -hmm. That's my relationship to ruthless is very different to your relationship to it. Right. I'm ruthlessly committed to being the best father I could be that's my commitment right and that's how i speak to myself so you know um i think it's important man the language that we speak to ourselves is, is important and being okay with that you know being okay with that i say that to i said it to the guys like you know find the language that works for you like i share this man like uh, there was a guy as a guy in my group and he wasn't particularly he wasn't stepping up to the mark and um he had this his daughter had been, it, it got, he's, he was very self-absorbed at the time, right? He's doing a lot better now, very self-absorbed. And um, he hadn't, his daughter had been ill and he hadn't made any contact. Or he didn't live with her, which split out from the partner. He hadn't made any contact for two weeks and she'd been ill. And he said to me, and he said, look, you know, I've not spoken to my daughter for two weeks and she's been really ill. I was like, why is that? And he's like, well, you know, I've just been busy doing my stuff. And now he said, I, I spoke to a few people about it and they said, well, you know, it's okay. You've been busy. And I said, no, that's not acceptable. You know, that's not acceptable as a father. Your daughter's been ill for two weeks. Do you, do you think that's acceptable? And he's like, no. And it felt a bit uncomfortable for him. And he said, well, you know, um, I feel a bit of an arsehole actually. And I said, well, do you want me to be honest with you? And he said, yeah. And I said, there's another word I would use for it, mate. And I won't repeat the word that I said on here, on here, Dennis, because um, <laughs> it might get chucked off the airways. But I said that to him. I said, you know, this is, this, this is the word that I would use for someone like that. And, and he didn't like it, right? He didn't like it. And, um, but the next day he sent me a message and said, it's true. Like, I appreciate you having the, the honesty to share that, to say that to me. Because it's very true. That is what I'm being and I'm going to make better. And, and, he's, and he's gone on to be a better father now. He's a really good father now, right? Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, I've built no like and trust with him to do that. You know, I wouldn't just do that to any stranger, yeah. right? Interrupted his, interrupted his story, you know? Yeah, I like how you're able to do that. Was that something you worked on intentionally? Like, I see a new capacity to interrupt somebody's story in a very direct way, but do it in a way where it actually implements change. You're not afraid to go there. But were you always like that? Or is that something you've been intentional with the last few years? That's something I've been intentional with the last few years by working on myself. And it still feels uncomfortable. It mm. feels uncomfortable. Um, okay, so you're not uh, waiting to be comfortable doing that. You're actually feeling discomfort while doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, it, do, it doesn't feel nice sometimes. It feels uncomfortable, right? My, my head goes, the stories start. Well, what if you upset him enough and then he, and then he, and he fucks off and then he, yeah. he's not going to work for you anymore and he tells everyone else about it? And I'm like, um, I do it because my job is to serve. My job is to get my feelings out of the way and be of the highest service that I can be to that person to help them transform, transform their life. Um, I got, um, again, I, I share, you okay for me to share another story, man? Yeah, if you've got time, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, man. So there, there was another guy that basically he come to work with me. And um, again, stories, right? This story. So he was telling everyone the story about how <laughs> this is great. I love it, man. And I, this is my favorite story to share to people, right? And um, he's, he had this story, right? He was telling everyone he met. If you met him within two minutes, he told you his story. He told you his story that he got fucked over by the people that worked for him. They robbed him of all his money. And he ended up going bankrupt and losing his business, right? That's his story. And he told it. Anyone that give him a minute or two, he would tell you that story, right? So he comes to me and I started working with him. And every couple of weeks he'd turn up and he didn't feel too good. And, and, and he would start running this story, start playing this story. So I was kind of like, dude, like, this is a story, right? Like, let's break this story. We need to, we need to get to the bottom. We need to break this story and start moving forward. Because this story is keeping you stuck from moving forward. Anyway, so this was going on. We, we was working together and this kept going on. Every couple of weeks or three weeks, he would turn up and I could see by his face. And I'm like, I'm going to get the story. I'm going to get the story. Um, so, but what he failed to tell people in his story, right? This is what he failed to tell people in his story. He failed to tell people in his story that he'd built a business. He was spending all the money on cocaine and alcohol. He left everyone just to get on with their jobs. Wasn't managing everyone, right? And was just kicking back, partying, sniffing loads of cocaine, drinking alcohol. Now, he left that part of the story out when he was telling people. So, right, so he told me that story, but then he kept replaying that story. And one day, he came to the call, and this, this, Dennis, was the first kind of, I would say this was the first part where I really kind of see the power in interrupting someone's story and being really honest with them. And <laughs> he started playing his story. And I said to him, I say his name's Bob. It's not Bob, but let's say his name's Bob. I said, Bob, let me just stop you for a minute. I said, I'm getting really fucking bored of listening to this story. Are you bored of telling it yet? Right. And he hated it. He hated it. Right. He just said, he was like, he didn't know what to do. And he was like, what? and I went, dude, I'm fucking sick of this story. I said, I'm bored to my fucking tits of it. Are you bored of telling it yet? And then I just sat there quiet and, and, it, and he went quiet for a little bit. Uh, and, and he didn't like it. And then, and then he was like, and I just said to him, I've got a question for you, man. I said, how many times a day do you tell that story? And he said, every day. I said, who do you tell that story to? He said, anyone that will listen. I said, right. Do you tell them about the drugs you were sniffing, what you was doing with women, kicking back, leaving everyone to get on with their jobs, right? Screaming and shouting at people, treating people. Like, do you tell them that side of the story? And he said, no, I don't tell him that side of the story. Right? <laughs> I'm so right. Cool. Now, from that moment, something shifted in him, right? It shifted. We'd, we'd done some more work, and then he's gone off and done some other stuff, and by, by all accounts, he's doing well for himself now, right? But that moment in that story, I've got to be honest with you, I was fucking sick and tired of listening to the story. And I, I said to him, are you sick and tired? Of and he said, I'm actually, yeah, I am sick and tired of telling this story. Because we, because, <laughs> because... We get so used to doing it and playing a victim. And when we get into that place of just telling that story and it becomes like, you know, it's like when you injure your knee at a gym and then you tell everyone about it. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to the gym at the moment because I injured my knee. I've done that. that. It becomes another story, right? It becomes another story. And then what happens is you just create this whole story and that becomes your reality. And you just mm. get stuck in that reality. And you'd be stuck in that reality. And the problem was, is no one, everyone always felt sorry for him. Like, what do you do when everyone tells that story? They go, 
Oh, that's so, I'm sorry to hear that, Bob. Yeah, that's, that's terrible. That's terrible. So for one, you're not telling the whole story. And number two, you're getting something from it because you're getting people to buy into you and feel sorry for you. And I was the first person to interrupt that. And, and you know, that was a moment there after that. And that felt really, really uncomfortable. That's the real first time that I really challenged someone like that, right? Um, and I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't have many clients at the time. And I didn't have much money coming in. And that was really edgy to go to because if I lost him as a client, right? And that, you know, that's the truth. I was like, fuck, man, what if I lose him as a client? I'm like, well, I'm here to serve him, not please him. And um, that was massive for him. That was massive for him, you know, in that point with his story, you know, and, and stop, I've said every time because you've just created the habit of telling that story to people. And then what happens, he started becoming aware. And as he went to tell the story, he'd interrupt himself. I'm going to tell that story again and stop, you know, you know, and it just, that's what it was. Awareness, interruption. And then after a period of time, he, he didn't have to keep telling the story. I don't know if he tells it now because I'm not spoke to him for a long time. But he probably realizes <laughs> it's a story now. But he probably needed like that. You probably got to, to an extent that there was his reality. He needed somebody to interrupt that story. Nobody would, yeah, because it is uncomfortable to find something out. I think there's an art to that too, as in you were in a place of service when you were doing that, rather than somebody pointing out know, from a place of you fucking annoy me. There's a big difference yeah. in energy there. I think. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it comes back to like when I was work, when you was working with me with, with your story, mm. I was, like it wasn't an interrupt. I was just like, right, Dennis, this is what you're going to do. You're going to do a video da, 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 every day. Yeah, mine was the opposite. Like I had the story in my head. I just wouldn't be, I couldn't verbalize it to anybody because I had so much shame and embarrassment around it. So mine was mm. the exact opposite reality I was living in. I needed mm. some sort of outlet to, to speak it out, but I also needed somebody else to help me to speak it, speak it out because me just speaking to myself wasn't enough to get that story externally for myself so mm. that's powerful stuff that's why i had you in the podcast today talking about yeah, interrupting man. the stories thanks michael <laughs> it's great i could talk about this all day but uh, yeah, i have to leave it there Absolutely. so how yeah, people man. find you online if they want to check out your work and maybe work with you okay so um probably the most active i'm on instagram um if you search michael hilton you'll find me it's m-i-c-h-e-a-l um if you want to email me it's michael at michaelhilton.com instagram place i'm probably most active is my facebook page i am michael hilton um, my website is michaelhilton.com um you can contact me there uh, they're the best places man um you know just reach out you know send me a message man and uh yeah i'd be happy to chat with anyone man i enjoy it. i enjoy meeting people enjoy having conversations with people I enjoy finding out a little bit like about people and maybe if anyone's got anything from this and it's helped them, I'd, I'd love to know about it, man, because I'd like to know that it's made some kind of impact in some way, you know? Mm, perfect. Cool, Michael. Thanks again for taking your time out today and sharing your story and what you're doing in the world today. Appreciate Thanks. it, brother. Cool. So, until next time, have fun and enjoy the process.